Introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. with another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And I am back, joined once again by two of the smartest people on all of the internets. And we're just going to jump right into this thing. Dr. Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? How you been? Things are going well. The Vikings got a big win on Sunday. Uh, And honestly... Uh, you know, kind of a bad break for them um, last night. Uh, Detroit sh- probably should have won uh, and uh, didn't. And now, you know, Green Bay has a little bit of a, an edge on them moving forward. But um, all in all, uh, have to be happy with the the way the Vikings uh, are trending and a uh, fun uh, little day for the NFL as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Nick, my man, how you doing? What uh, wholesome activities have you been up to? And uh, did you do any more blasphemy on the timeline today with uh, with Photoshop? <laughs> well, I did tweet out a picture of uh, Stefan Diggs overimposed on the Randy Moss, you know, Thanksgiving game. It was a rookie year, three catches, three touchdowns, because uh, Diggs had a similar performance. Um, but uh, I guess that's, that's only slightly blasphemous, uh, comparing Diggs to maybe the best receiver ever. Um, but no, you know, keeping up uh, the wholesome activities, raising the kids, uh, you know, plugging along, watching a Vikings game, hopefully not getting the girls too involved in Vikings games that I want to do that to them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been good. Good stuff. Well, Vikings game. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. Let's jump right into it. And uh, Nick, we'll start with you. Vikings matched up against, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles and um game was not nearly as competitive as uh, most of us were predicting going into that one. So as you thought about the game going in and then you actually watched the game, I guess, what were your thoughts on, on how it went down versus uh, kind of what you were thinking going in? Yeah, I was really impressed with Kevin Stefanski's play calling in this game. I thought he started out by borrowing a lot from um, the the play sheet they used last year to to beat the Eagles in Philadelphia. There was a lot of uh, quick passes to the flats, little quick hitches or curls, or get the ball in Thielen or Diggs' hands. You saw that in the run game as well. Um, pitches to the outside or reverses or jet sweeps to get the ball in the playmaker's hands in the flats. And the, the great thing about that is that's where Philly is weak. They're weaker on the outside with their corners, their depleted depth there. They're really stout in the middle with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and the rest of their defensive line depth, which maybe isn't as great as it was in their Super Bowl year, but it's still really good. Um, so I, I like seeing that. And then I really liked seeing once Stefanski realized, hey, this offensive line is doing a pretty good job. Um, and it was surprisingly great from uh, from Bradbury and from the whole and from Rashad Hill, who uh, came in raw off the bench uh, and and didn't give up any pressure. It was good stuff. And Stefanski saw, saw that and started calling deep shots and back to back plays. We have 
50, 60 yard touchdowns to Diggs, two plays in a row for the offense. So you love to see that. You love to see Kirk Cousins finally being aggressive. That's maybe the most encouraging thing of anything, because we all know this Vikings team is going to come down to uh, can Kirk Cousins get over his his issues? And and at least for last week, who knows about next week, but at least for last week, Kirk Cousins was everything you wanted in your quarterback. He was taking shots. He was placing the ball really well. He had some two fantastic throws, the Thielen touchdown, the first one, and then the, the last Diggs touchdown were into tight window throws in the red zone, which were, you know, perfectly, pretty perfectly placed. Um, the offensive line was was doing really well. And, you know, I would have going into it, the most surprising thing is, I thought the Eagles were a much better team in the trenches, and they might still be, but for whatever reason on Sunday, um, I thought the Vikings got the better of them. Both their offensive line outplayed the Eagles' defensive line, and I think the Vikings' de- the Vikings' defensive line, especially Everson Griffin, uh, really got the better of um, Andre Dillard and and with the rest of the the, uh, the Eagles' offensive line. So that was good to see. Um, I thought the run game was well called. They had a lot of um, delayed handoffs that kind of, allowed guys the Eagles shoot their gaps so quickly and that makes it easier to seal them off. You had some trap and wham blocks as well to get guys upfield and some success there. But really uh, the most encouraging stuff is, you know, Stefan Diggs, he's uh, clearly happy with how things are going, I think. And Kirk Cousins has shown that despite some disastrous starts, he's actually, you know, uh, he's got like a top 10 passing grade. He's like top 10 in EPA per dropback. So you, you love to see that. Yeah. You know what else you love to see is that um, I, I feel like, Thus far, you know, and haven't gone exactly game by game and and, and tracking it, but I, I feel like both of you to to this point in the season have been pretty bang on in terms of your predictions for where the team would be at this point. You both have the team going two and two over the first uh, quarter of the season, and this was really the the quarter of the season that that both of you predicted you now during the off season that uh you know the team would actually really get hot and really get going and really start to piece some things together. So. uh yeah, I think you. It, it, it's it's good to see that the off season prognostication from uh, from both of you on here is really is uh, is really coming, uh, really coming true uh, in a way that you know isn't always the case when we make these predictions and these bets earlier on in the season. So uh, yeah, love to see that, Eric. You know, the game I think went uh, for you especially, someone who's written some things about uh, you know coverage versus pass rush and those things, and the Eagles obviously are a team that are, uh, as we said in the offseason, strong in some of the less valuable positions. Uh, how did this game unfold for you? And then what are your thoughts, I guess, coming out of this game uh, from a coverage versus pass rush perspective? Yeah, I mean, it played out really well in, the, in terms of that because the Eagles not only weren't very good to begin with in coverage, but lost some players during the season uh, with Darby out, uh, Avante Maddox, I believe, out. Um, and you know, they, they really struggle against the Vikings and to your point, you know, Rashad Hill was great. It was the second time in his career. I think that he entered a game, uh, for an injured starter at left tackle and didn't allow pressure. Uh, you know, that seems to be a good spot for him uh, on this team. Um, when I look, uh, you know, the Vikings, you know, didn't get Dalvin cook going on Sunday and it, but it didn't seem to matter, right? Because they had the, you know, every, I dotted and T crossed in the passing game to cook only had, you know, basically 14 yards rushing before contact Alexander Madison, only 23 yards uh, before contact. Um, but it didn't matter because Kirk cousins uh, was, was great throwing the ball and, and throwing the ball down the field. So if you look at him in the, in the deep range, he completed three touchdowns on passes that were more than 20 yards downfield 
uh, four passes, such passes in general, but he was also, um, you know, five of six uh, with a touchdown. And the only incompletion was that ball off of Diggs' head uh, in be- between 10 and 19 yards, which is really, you know, for me, where you make your money in the NFL. Uh, you know, he averaged almost 13 yards per pass attempt from a clean pocket. Uh, you know, all of those things were were extremely good for uh, Cousins and the Vikings. Looking on to next week, we just saw last night or, you know, Monday night that, you know, Detroit, the Detroit Lions offer almost the exact opposite defense uh, than the Eagles do. They try to manufacture pressure a lot like uh, the Patriots do, um, you know, up front. They're not terribly talented there, but they cover their asses off. And so, uh, you know, that'll be the next test for Cousins when, you know, the, the other team's secondary isn't as poor as the Eagles. Can they, can he still fit the ball in there? Uh, because guys like Justin Coleman and Darius Slayer are not messing around for Detroit. Yeah, and shout out to Eric for uh, for letting us know that we might have been sleeping on Detroit during this offseason because I wasn't hearing that from a lot of places. And, uh, you know, Eric, you took a firm stance and I think also put your money where your mouth was a little bit on that take that uh, Detroit wasn't going to be the pushovers that we typically have come to expect them to be. But Eric, I want to go back to something you just said there, because you were talking about the running game not mattering. And if I'm you know, doing my math correctly, we had over 30 rushes, which is why we won the game. Right. And <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that they got out ahead. Uh, you know, I, we were, you know, I'm normally at the office on Sunday and, and I, I turned over to one of my colleagues and I said, the Vikings are going to lose this game. Uh, once uh, the Eagles started coming back, unfortunately, uh, for Philadelphia, they just shot themselves in the foot too many times. And fortunately for the Vikings, um, it wasn't, you know, the other team didn't blow the game. The Vikings took it from the Eagles multiple times uh, and eventually, you know, were to, were to the point where they could run the football uh, because they were ahead and not because they needed yards. Uh, and so that was great. Uh, Dalvin Cook, one of the best runners in the NFL, just one missed tackle forced on Sunday. Uh, you know, again, like they're a really solid running back group, but it's pretty refreshing to know that they don't need the running backs to be great um, because, you know, that's not a formula for success long term in the NFL. Uh, and it's also, you know, good to see that they can diversify. I mean, obviously, Thielen still had 57 yards and a touchdown, um, but, the, you know, getting Diggs involved was humongous. Uh, and even they got Irv Smith involved on a couple passes uh, as well. So. Um, you know, just just a really good overall effort for Minnesota. Um, you could see the completeness of their defense, um, you know, from, you know, Trey Waynes having a pretty solid game. I, he didn't grade very well, but he was attacked a lot and, uh, you know, held his own. Xavier Rhodes, you know, the, t- uh, the Eagles were six for six throwing in his direction, but just five yards per pass attempt. Uh, and Eric Kendricks continues to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL. So, it's a it's a really you know it's a it's a good team right now and you know unfortunately it all it always comes down to how well Kirk Cousins plays and these games as a pessimistic uh, person these games always come down to oh my gosh this is what Kirk's capable of and there are going to be multiple games during the season where he simply doesn't live to it so hopefully he can continue to do uh, continue to play the way he's played the last couple of weeks yeah and so Nick I'll ask you um, so as you look at this game I mean you know. Passing game was wide open. We had some more of those deep shots, things that, you know, you'd mentioned earlier on, on the podcast or earlier in the season that, you know, Diggs is running free where we're seeing him, you know, be targeted further downfield. Eventually these things to connect. Everything came together in, in this game against Philadelphia. 
do you see this maybe as a or these last couple of games where we really have opened things up do you see this maybe as a a transition in the offense after the team's best players uh, you know, wide receiver really started to be vocal about the fact that, you know, we need to get the passing game going. You'd even had, you know, Kirk Cousins kind of, you know, say things, well, you know, you, you play the game, you play the game plan as it's called and you kind of see what happens. Um, and, and so now it looks like we've maybe shifted things towards looking to establish the pass versus the run. Is that what you're actually seeing when you go back and look at, at, at film? Does, do the Vikings now want to be a, a pass first team? Or do you think that uh, as, as we go through the rest of the season, it will be one of those really matchup dependent type things? And, uh, you know, we, we may shift back to what we saw earlier in the season where it was just run, run, run. Um, and then, you know, maybe it's more third and logs that we'd like to see Kirk Cousins in. I think it's definitely a matchup thing. I think you saw a lot of overreaction early in the year when, you know, they, they kept feeding Dalvin Cook against Atlanta because Atlanta wasn't playing the edges and they weren't defending it. So why not keep going back to that if you're getting, you know, eight yards a pop or something. So, um, but whereas in this game, they clearly came in with a plan knowing, hey, that's a meat grinder to run into. We're going to attack the edges and we're going to attack downfield because, you know, they're on their, their they've got two corners injured and um, they're pretty weak there. And the, inju- the, the corners they have there are, uh, not a good matchup against Diggs and Thielen. So that was clearly the the, the matchup. And and this is the Kubiak blueprint. You know, the Vikings under Filippo last year, because in part because of a bad offensive line, they, they really didn't take any shots downfield. And they really neutered the offense and they got rid of the ball quickly. And and Kubiak has come in and he does what he does everywhere. And it's it's a it's a play action. It's and it's, it's it's run the ball and establish play action and then take your shots downfield and Matt Schaub passing for 4,000 yards or whatever, because you're, you know, you're throwing bombs and, and that's, that's kind of the, the blueprint for the offense, but it's always going to be a matchup specific thing. I think that's part of what makes Stefanski so far really impressive as a play caller and as a play designer is he's, he's willing to, from week to week, adapt the, the plan and the players and the personnel to um, best exploit what the other defense might be exposed against. So you like to see that um, you like to see the play action passing. You like to see, the, the shots downfield, but most of all, you'd like to see a team be able to beat teams in different ways with different players, depending on what might work that day. And so I'm going to ask you both a question, and, and it's not something I know if either of you has data for, but um, it's something that, that Yanka brought up on a, on a previous episode of the, the Climbing the Pocket podcast. And um, I don't know. So we're going into last week's game. You know, Adam Thielen is kind of who the offense is running through. He has the most you know, air yards, receiving yards. Uh, really, everything is is kind of being funneled through Adam Thielen. We have this game where it seems as though there maybe was a bit more, just because of the way the defense was playing. Just you know, Diggs was was running past <laughs> Rasul Douglas uh, as though Rasul Douglas wasn't even on the field with them. But we we have the game where now you know after this game, Diggs has a huge lead in air yards. The team looked as impressive as they have in quite some time. And so I guess I want to ask the question: um, They're both great players. But is this offense better if it runs through Stefan Diggs? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think the issue is always that. Well, and this is the this is the the hot take, right? Diggs is probably the better player, and the oftentimes we see the other team uh, put their greatest coverage resources towards Diggs, and as a result, the natural tendency is for the Vikings to throw at Thielen, uh, and, and hence his production. Um, you know, against a team like Philadelphia, where they don't, they're like sort of equally yoked around the secondary and poorly, um, that doesn't seem to work. 
against a team like Detroit on Sunday, uh, I'd be very surprised if Darius Slay didn't didn't track digs around the football field uh, and leave other players, uh, you know, namely Rashad Melvin and Ju- and Justin Coleman uh, to Thielen. And in which case, it might be better off for the Vikings uh, to throw the ball to Thielen. Uh, but I think it, it stems from like, okay, which player is better? Uh, and, you know, and Cousins being the type of player that you just described where, you know, when when John Watson wants to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to do it, right? Uh, when Patrick Mahomes is not a great example, but when Patrick Mahomes wants to throw the ball to Tyreek Hill, he generally does it. Uh, when Dante Culpepper wanted to throw the ball to Randy Moss, he generally did it. Kirk is not risky at all, right? So he's not, and he doesn't need to be because of the secondary receiver that they have in Thielen. Like he, he's not going to, he's not going to force passes to Diggs, uh, even if Diggs can consistently beat these great players. Um, so I think that's kind of the dichotomy we see against teams that like either don't track with coverage or aren't as good. Uh, you know, you obviously, you know, Kirk lets it rip to digs. In other situations, that might not be the case. Yeah, and, and Nick, obviously, we know that you hold Stefan Diggs in very high regard. I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Is it, uh, does it make sense even, I guess, maybe in some situations where, you know, Diggs might not have the best matchups, just given the fact that he's being targeted right in, in this particular offensive scheme in the more valuable quadrants of the field? He's being hit in the places where, you know, uh, you're more likely to get, you know, big, you know, pass interference type penalties against defenses. Does it make sense to to try to get Diggs going, uh, kind of regardless? I won't say regardless in every situation, but does it make sense to get him going just based on the talent and the type of routes that he's running and and just what he brings to the table and how it opens up everything else on the offense? I mean, I think Diggs is an All Pro caliber talent. So I think when you got a receiver that talented, you should be feeding him the ball. But the flip side is I think Adam Thielen is, you know, a top 20, top 15, arguably top 10 receiver, too. Um, and so when the, you got two two guys that talented, it's it's ultimately going to come down to matchups. And it's not a bad thing to, to feed your best guys the balls. We saw that a lot more with Case Keenum. But the Kirk Cousins is just such a by-the-book guy. He's not going to be, I'm going to throw this to Thielen no matter what. I don't care if Marshawn Lattimore is draped all over him. I'm just going to toss up the ball and give him a chance for it. Whereas Kirk Cousins will be like, okay, it's you know I got a middle-of-the-field closed look, so I'm going to throw the seam or whatever. And maybe that's Kyle Rudolph instead of Adam Thielen. But that's just how Kirk Cousins works. And that's why you see him throwing to Laquan Treadwell, just because he, he's not looking at the numbers on the jerseys. He's looking at, like, what's the what's the what's the concept breakdown here and who's the most open and that's just how he does it so um that's the that's the way Kirk Cousins works and um whether they could be doing well by throwing more to 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 digs they probably could but um you know you saw you saw last week just with the kind of the flood concepts they were running on that first digs touchdown with three level flood being you know you have one guy run deep you have one guy cut uh, a dig route to the to the intermediate route and then you have one guy in the flat like your cj ham guy and it stretches the defense because usually they only have two defenders there and so uh you throw to the one who isn't covered basically and with that one Diggs was the one who wasn't covered so that just happened to be the right read there and and so you saw um those things kind of come out naturally although i do think you know if Diggs is as good of a player as i think he is um that's the kind of player you want to feed as if he were your antonio brown or your julio jones or your whoever I like it. I like it. And just one final thing here, Nick, and I'll let you go first on this one. Um, I have, I've, I'm of the mind that the tight end screens to Kyra Rudolph need to be fired into the sun. I know you disagree with me. 
could you please con convince me as to why I am wrong uh, about the tight end screens to Kyle Rudolph <laughs> versus Irv Smith or any other person uh, with the ability to make somebody miss a tackle? Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously Kyle Rudolph is is not a great player in terms of yards after the catch ability. But I think what really sets up those tight end screens um, is is Rudolph's ability to be able to take on an edge defender one on one and then chuck him upfield, you know, so he'll catch him with, you know, his, his left hand on their on their chest plate and he'll throw them upfield and edge rusher is thinking, OK, I've got a shot straight at the quarterback. And that's when you you hit him with the screen. And then all of a sudden these there you got nothing but green space in front of them and a couple pulling guards or offensive linemen in front of them. And so that's why it works. Um, I think Irv Smith has really impressed me, especially as a blocker um, so far this year. So he might be able to be able to take on those sort of wide tight end responsibilities in line blocking edges. But so far, I, I'm not super confident that Irv Smith can do that, um, can, you know, take on a, your Everson Griffins of the world and, and be able to hold up for a second and be able to sell that kind of block and then throw him upfield. Um, so that's kind of why I think Kyle Rudolph works. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say this play sucks. We should throw it out of the playbook. But it's gotten like five, six yards on first down, like the three times we've run it. And that's a that's a successful that's a successful game. It's not, you know, anything impressive or anything. And um, obviously you'd prefer to have Diggs or Thielen or Irv Smith or Cook in space as opposed to Kyle Rudolph, just based on uh, their speed and their elusiveness and their ability to to not go down on first contact. But um the way it works with Rudolph is just the, his ability to sell that 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 block, and I'm not sure you could see the same thing from Irv Smith just yet. It's just that every time I feel like we've run that play, it's been set up so beautifully <laughs> for a huge gain, and, and like it, you said, we get five yards. He trips know? over himself, yeah. <laughs> which is in and of itself, you know, on first down, it's a it's a good gain. But like you see, the Vikings see, with the numbers advantage, and then Kyle Rudolph gets the ball and like falls over one of his blockers and it's like okay cool the problem is we're spoiled with players like cook who just make us think like okay our, our you know digs Thielen, cook in the open space like they make guys miss they go for crazy yards after the catch and those guys are all really good i mean delvin cook and spaces they they have a whole like half of the playbook designed to get cook the ball in space just because you've seen how fast how explosive and how elusive he is how he just sheds blocks left and right same thing with Diggs. they design plays to get him the ball in space with the reverses jet sweeps same with Thielen we saw last week because these guys are really good with the balls and in their hands and rudolph isn't like the worst in the world but compared to those guys yeah it's it's, it's a pretty stark contrast all right, Eric, do you have any data on hand that could just tell Nick that he's wrong or should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm astounded that that uh Kyle Rudolph this season has seventy two receiving yards and seventy <laughs> of them are after the catch. Wow. <laughs> so I yeah, he, he did toast um <laughs> who's that who's that Oakland safety on a seam route and he drew defensive pass interference because Kirk underthrew it. So they are throwing to him downfield every once in a while, but that one won't show up because it's a penalty. Yeah, he, got, yeah, he, he got the Kobe contract, you know. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> he, he did. He got the he got the thank you. Um years after averaging, he averaged three point eight yards after the catch per catch the last two years. 7.8 yards per catch after the catch this year. He's turning into a new man, guys. A, a new man. All the screens. All the screens. All right. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, I guess he can't block me again, so I, I'm safe. But let's not put either of you in jeopardy. So let's move on to uh, the next game. 
And um, Eric, we we will let you go first here, since the Vikings will be matching up against your preseason darlings. Uh, tell me how this game's going to go. I'm so angry that the game ended the way it did last night because, you know, obviously Detroit Detroit went from being a team like if they win that game, they're in first place in the division. Now they're in last place. We give them now about a seven percent chance to win the division. Um, it, and now Green Bay has over a fifty percent chance to win the division. So. There, there was a lot of leverage on last night's game, and it's unfortunate that it came down. Not only to, you know, the referees were obviously an issue, but Detroit also, you know, controlled the game and probably should have won outright anyway. Um, th- in this game, again, I talked about this a little bit earlier. I think Detroit's defense is going to present problems for the Vikings, um, and, and and so I can very much see, you know, the, you know, this total is fifty-five or forty-five and a half. I could probably see this game playing under that. Uh, I think both defenses are very good. I think both offenses, again, when they're playing good defenses and the Vikings have a great defense, um, are are prone to sort of settling for field goals uh, when when there should be touchdowns. Um, you know, it's going to be a matchup between two teams that have a great wide receiver pair. I think Kenny Galladay is one of the more underrated players in the league, Marvin Jones as well, uh, and, of course, what the Vikings have. Um, I, you know, it, it, these two teams are very equally matched, and I think you know there there's a universe where the Lions are a better version of what Minnesota wants to be, uh, and so uh, the betting market's opened here around I think Detroit, I think it was a pick'em, uh, and now Minnesota or actually Detroit was favored by one at one point um, yesterday, uh, and now it's Minnesota favored by one. That's not a huge move in the marketplace because very few games land on one or zero. Um, but it does show that there's some support for Minnesota after Detroit uh, had a big letdown on, uh, on Monday night. So, um, you know, I think going into the season, I had Detroit winning this one. Um, I would say now I'm probably a, a little bit of a lean towards Minnesota, but not not definitive in any stretch. All right, Nick, what are your thoughts? Lions, Vikings? Can't remember if this was a game that that either of you were feeling could be a, a tough one for the Vikings before the season, but what are your thoughts on it now that we've seen a, a newly revitalized Detroit team, one that seems to actually know what they're doing with uh, quite a few less conspiracy theories for Matt Patricia and the team that actually, yeah, seems competent when they show up to play games. Yeah. Yeah. As much as like a, as a joke uh, that the Lions have been having never won this, this division, um, and being the 0-16 team, they have a surprisingly good record in the division, especially at Ford Field. You can't really uh, write them off, especially with the way they're playing lately. So um, at the same time, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of them. Like the, the, the PFF ELO system has like them ranked 21st, which doesn't exactly sound right, but maybe that's not accounting for just how new Matt Stafford looks in the, in the new Bevel offense, uh, which looks fantastic and is throwing it downfield. And Galladay looks amazing. Uh, plus Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola and I, you know, TJ Hawkinson was my draft crush and uh, he's he's already looking really productive. And that whole offensive line looks good and their secondary is playing, you know, the corners, you know, it's hard to think of a better matchup in terms of um, putting um, Slay on Diggs and then Coleman on Thielen. Uh, that's, you know, that kind of the, the exact type of two corners you'd want to, to, to match up with Diggs and Thielen. So uh, it's tough to see. Um, you know, what sort of holes you could poke in that offense. At the same time, you know, 
that that front four maybe they're not like the best but they are really stout run stuffers obviously got snacks harrison but robinson the rest of the crew trey flowers those are good um those are good run stuffers too so um i would expect i don't know but i would expect this to be more of an irv smith breakout game than anything because i, I don't really think you want to run up uh into that uh that that run defense i don't think you want to air it out to against darius slay and justin coleman so maybe that's what they do but um i i don't really at this point i feel pretty confident in saying that the vikings are a good team you know they're they're fifth in dvoa i think they are they're like sixth in offensive dvoa and like fifth in defensive dvoa and they're they're fourth i think in pff elo so i think um you know they they have four victories and their worst one was by 16 points so um, I think they have the third best for third best point differential in the NFL. So I'm pretty confident the Vikings are a good team at this point. Uh, the the Lions, I I don't know. I Stafford looks really good this year, but Stafford's also had a lot of years of mediocre play. So I don't know what to make of Matt Stafford right now as a quarterback. Um, but they seem to be clicking. So uh, I think this one is appropriately handicapped at about favor the Vikings by a point. That's basically a toss up, like a fifty fifty game. Um, and I think it'll really come down to, to the turnover luck and uh, which quarterback ends up showing up to the game. So, and we'll see. It could be, you know, who knows which Kirk gets, will get and who knows which Matt Stafford will get. Yeah, and that's a great segue. So based on what you know about you know, each of the quarterbacks through their careers to date, so what we've seen of Kirk, what we've seen of Matt Stafford, which one do you have more confidence in as we go through the rest of the season? For me, it's Stafford. I mean, I you know, the... And I've I've waxed poetic about I mean I I don't think Stafford's an elite quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, um, but like any guy that can get the Lions to I believe it's four winning seasons uh, as a starting quarterback um, has my respect, um, you know just because that team has been such so bad and and you know and he brought him up to respectability he has played really well this year he has you know down the field. Uh, to, you know, his performances throwing the ball down the field have been great. Um, you know, last night it was more, you know, dropped by Hawkinson in the end zone, bad, the Marvin Jones non call was, was quite poor. Uh, and they, and they weren't particularly efficient running the football. Um, but I'm going to go with Stafford. I think I know what to expect out of him more. Uh, and while he certainly has been dependent on, um, you know, on, uh, you know, his coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, sort of saved his career for a while and then, you know, lost his fastball later on. Um, I, you know, I think he's a little bit better than Kirk. All right, Nick. Is Eric wrong? I don't – I can't really disagree. I think it's really a stylistic thing in terms of who do you prefer because Stafford is a quarterback who's always had very clearly defined strengths and weaknesses. He's always had um, – arguably the strongest arm in the NFL, but his accuracy has, has never been up there with the, with the, with the better quarterbacks. That's always limited him. Um, early on, he was kind of a turnover machine through a lot of interceptions. Um, you saw, uh, was it Lombardi? I think they brought in and then Jim Bob Cooter kind of, they both had to neuter him a little bit and lower his average depth of target because he wasn't really taking care of the football. Now somehow Bevel's managed to unleash the Stafford that you would want to see as somebody who can take care of that that arm strength and throw down field and, and use it to the best of his abilities, but without generating turnovers. So at least that's what we've seen so far. But you know, with Cousins, you're getting a much, much less risk, a much more risk averse quarterback who doesn't like throwing 
uh, into tight windows who demands guys to be wide open before he'll he'll chuck it downfield. So um, and he goes very much by the book. I also think Stafford has much better pocket presence than Kirk Cousins does. Not that Kirk Cousins has like the worst pocket presence in the league or anything, but Stafford's really underrated in that respect. I think he's you know maybe one tier below the the Philip Rivers, Drew Brees of the world, or Tom Brady's in terms of how well they navigate a uh, a muddy pocket. So um, Stafford's kind of a guy, and it kind of comes down to who you prefer in terms of what you look for in a quarterback and what sort of traits you value. But I think overall, it's kind of they're in a similar tier of not quite top ten quarterbacks, but probably still worth keeping around as your franchise guy, maybe. Um, and then if who you who you like, kind of think it comes. Oh, to that that certainly was a rousing endorsement there. If we. Maybe you keep around as your franchise guy. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Well, I, on the one hand, they're definitely worth it, but at the same time, they're they're both like the the guys that you look at and you're like, do we really want to be paying these guys the same amount that we're you know that New Orleans is paying Drew Brees or you know there's there's certainly they're both significantly better than the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, but at the same time, if you could draft somebody. Um, there's a lot of delta to be gained in finding somebody who would be an elite quarterback. So that's the it's the old conundrum. It, an interesting thing to think about in terms of handicapping Sunday's game as well. Um, and we had this discussion. Somebody in our uh, work chat was talking about like why has home field advantage been negative this year? Uh, you know whether it's against the spread or, or actually straight up. And that's a little bit of a folly because you know there are some really bad teams in the NFL this year, and they're not going to win no matter where they play the games. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, the reasons for home field advantage in the NFL are going away. You know, fans aren't as rowdy. When I go to a Bengals game, I'm watching every other game on on, an, on the uh, red zone on my phone. Um, and and travel, travel is not tri- – travel is pretty trivial now, right? Uh, players take care of their bodies really well. But the one thing that, you know, and this was in scorecasting – the one thing that um, you know emerged as the key factor of home field advantage was refereeing, um, and I said this yesterday in the chat, and I told everybody to read the book, and a lot, few people laughed at me, and ultimately that became the case Sunday, uh, in, or Monday night in Green Bay, and not to say that they made those calls because they were in Green Bay or not, um, but there, I think that there is a non, there is a not insignificant chance that Detroit gets a fair amount of calls this week. Um, they are, you know, they are one of, they are, they have the worst, I believe, differential in terms of penalties for and penalties against. And that could be a product of being, you know, not disciplined or that could be noise. And I know that the, the people within the league study these things. So if you're thinking about Xavier Rhodes, he's one of the handsier corners in the league. Uh, Trey Waynes is not particularly behind him there. Um you know, Griffin, Hunter, they're near the quarterback all the time. There's a chance for roughing the passer penalties that can turn this game around. Um, and so if I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh, the Vikings are favored, they're a better team, you know, they should go in. And I I would say the variance in this game is far higher than people want to, people might uh, perceive just because of the unknown that, that is associated with that uh, that angle. All right. And uh I think I'm going to get try to try to get a few more of your thoughts uh, on that and and a couple other of the things going on in the league uh, for a bit of bonus coverage for this week. But uh, for this episode, I feel like we covered everything we needed to. We uh, we captured what happened in the last game. We talked a little bit about the next one Uh, before we wrap this piece up. Nick, uh, you've been working hard on Twitter dot com. Anything else we should be looking for 
uh, any place else, or is Twitter where everyone needs to be going to to keep up with everything that you're working on? Uh, yeah, you could follow me in Nick Olson NFL. I've been brainstorming an article for because I really want to get across just how good Stefanski and Kubiak have been. I think they they deserve a lot of credit for uh, both their run concepts and the passing concepts they've incorporated. And I also think Zimmer's doing a lot of new things this year, and I haven't really seen people highlight them. Like he's doing some crazy different fronts that he doesn't normally do. We're seeing some like three, four fronts with Anthony Barra as, as an outside linebacker. We're seeing some interesting coverage concepts, and I feel like that's worth highlighting because it's always, you know, Zimmer's such a tinkerer with his defense. So both those things I want to write eventually. Unfortunately, work has gotten pretty busy lately, so I'm not sure I'll be able to do it this week. But if I do drop it, you'll see it on my timeline there. So that's what I got going. Boom. And how about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, so we've been doing uh, the Monday morning podcast for you in the week. We've been doing the Thursday uh, afternoon podcast kind of, you know, we kind of definitively going over our look ahead to the week. Um, and we, you know, producing content on YouTube, uh, fun little discussion this week will be between myself, Solomon Wilcox, George Shahuri, and Bruce Gradkowski about the value of the run game. Uh, that should be riveting. Uh, you know, uh, all the former football players in the office obviously think the run game is more important, uh, than the non-former football players in the office. Um, or former NFL players, at least. Uh, and so that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this week. You know, there's a little bit something for everybody. You got the Vikings at noon, right? And it should be a really compelling game. Houston, Indianapolis is an awesome game. Uh, and then at the four o'clock stretch, you got Teddy going into Chicago to beat up on Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. Sunday night football, you have Philadelphia, Dallas, uh, you know, for first place in the NFC East. Um, and and my upset special of the week is I think Oakland is going to go into Lambeau Field off a, a couple weeks of rest and beat a shortly rested Green Bay team. Boom. That, that would be they, fantastic. You get to be a Raiders fan, I think, for the for the foreseeable future, right? Because they, they, uh, they beat the Bears the other day in a big win for the Vikings. Uh, and I think anybody that watches Green Bay knows they're not a 5-1 and one team. Uh, if you add up their PFF war values uh, so far this season, I believe Green Bay has basically three wins worth of players. So they're like sort of two, win, two wins lucky. Um, and so, you know, uh, they're, they're out ahead. But if you're a Vikings fan, I think that the prospects of winning, winning the division are still right in front of you. Boom. Well, there it is. And uh, as always, gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you uh, actually very soon. Have a good one.